Um, <clears throat> y'all doing good? Y'all feeling good? Y'all awake? Good. Y'all look like you're awake today. It's good whenever you're like, yeah, you can just tell. People are feeling good right now. You know, there's some days that it's just a sleepy day, and I don't feel like that today. Today I feel like you guys are alert. I like it. Um, maybe it's because last week you, you came and we all stood up and we were shouting amen and stuff, and oh man, that was fun. I can still feel the blood kind of pushing against my skull, so um, yeah, that's a weird thing to say, but yeah, it was fun. I love that. Um, just to hear some excitement whenever people hear God's word is, oh man, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So I enjoyed that. Um, I'm, I don't plan on making you stand as we, as we, uh, and shouting amen as we read God's word. We'll stand here in a minute as we read it. But uh, yeah, um, I, was, I was thinking about this text, and honestly, I struggled um, all week trying to figure out how to introduce this text um, to y'all because what happens in today's text is there's actually very little, um, very little clear commands. Um, there's very little as far as a clear commandment goes. Um, a lot of texts you come to, and they're very straightforward. They tell you, here's what you should do. Um, I didn't really feel like that's what the primary thrust of this text was. Instead, a lot of what today's text is, is, is it's just talking, God, what has God done? Um, and really, I think that's more important than what we need to do. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But here's what we should do. It's almost as if it just says, here's who God is. And you're just, people are just going to respond to who God is. I mean, if you, if you really think about that, if you come to a... My goodness, am I, am I doing something here? I don't know. Uh, well, if I am and you see it, let me know, so I'll quit popping a mic. Maybe I'll just stand back here further. Um, y'all are like, please stay away from us. Um, so um, I started thinking about that, and uh, really what happens is the text tells us who God is, and the people just natural, naturally respond to God. Um, and really, that makes sense. If we see something that is awesome as God, we're naturally going to respond to that. If we really come to understand who God is, what he's done, how he's acted throughout history, it, it will change us in some way or another. It's going to change us. And I think that's what happens in today's text. Very little of Nehemiah chapter 9 is just saying, hey, here's what you should do. Instead of saying, here's who God is and here's what God has done. And as a result of that, we should act. So I started thinking about, like, what kind of stuff has happened? What kind of things can we compare that to? And at first I started thinking, like, okay, you could tell people, like, okay, here's, how, here's what you have to do to be healthy. Everybody wants to be healthy, then you go do those things. And I started thinking, now that's a really bad example because nobody does those things. Um, nobody exercises and diets regularly. and no, Nobody does those things, right? So anyway, um, I thought maybe that's not the best example because people don't naturally respond to that. So I struggled with how to introduce this text today. The closest thing I could come up with was this. Um, and uh, since I talked about my kid once, I'll do it again. Um, I, actually, I'll talk about a different one. How about that? So I remember when we first, we first had a baby. Um, we, we'd waited, we'd waited, we waited. We had Molly, and I remember there in the hospital room holding her for the very first time. Um, and just, uh, you didn't have to tell me I needed to love that girl. You didn't have to tell me that. Um, you could try all you want. Jared, you have to love, you didn't have to tell me to do that. I already knew to love this girl. Like, I already knew to love my baby. I knew I needed to care for her, provide for her. I knew I needed to protect her. I, I knew that. Nobody has to tell me that. See, and that was the closest thing I could come up with to something that I just saw, something I experienced, and from that, it naturally meant that I'm going to do this. And see, I think that's what happens whenever we encounter God, whenever we experience Him in His Word. Um, whenever we see who He is, what He's done, how He's acted, I think it will change us. 
Um, in a lot of ways now, don't get me wrong, I'm going to tell you how you should respond, so maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth today. Um, but still, I don't know that you have to be told, hey, do this, do that. I think here's who God is. Look at how awesome our God is. And I think that will change who we are. So that's what we're going to look at because I think that's what the text gets at today. Um, would you all stand with me? We're going to read Nehemiah chapter 9. That will be our text today. <clears throat> And it's a long chapter, but I think it moves pretty quickly. And even if it is long, I don't care because God's word is more important than my word, so we're going to read the whole thing. Y'all good with that? Yeah, well, I was told if there was a bingo card, um, uh, amen. I was told if there was a bingo card for sermons that uh, I don't care would be, like Jared saying, I don't care would be on it. Um, So I don't really care if you want to read it or not, we're going to. So there you go. Um, Just trying to be helpful. Anybody get a bingo? Nobody? Okay. Well, I'll see if I can help you out. All right. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, says, On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of, Israel, uh, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of their Lord, their God, for a fourth of the day, and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, uh, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenaniah stood on the ra- stood on the race platform built for the Levites and cried out loudly to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, uh, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, "Stand up." Blessed be the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and all the stars of heaven worship you. You, the Lord, are the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him to give the land to, of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Parasite, or Perizzites, uh, Jebusites. Is that a slip? Wow. Um, Jebusites and the Girgashites to give, give it to his descendants. You have fulfilled your promise for our righteous. You saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of the land, for you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You divided the sea before them, and they crossed through it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into raging water. You led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, and good statutes and commands. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commands, statutes, and instructions through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them... Them to go, you told them to go in and possess the land you had sworn to give them. But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. 
But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Even after they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, This is our God who brought you out of Egypt, and they had committed terrible blasphemies, you did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, the pillar of cloud never turned away from them, guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness forty years, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and peoples and established boundaries for them. They took possession of the land of King Sihon uh, of Heshbon and of the land of King Og of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants like the stars of the sky and brought them to the land you told their ancestors to go in and possess. So their descendants went in and possessed the land. You subdued the Canaanites who inhabited the land before them and handed their kings and the surrounding peoples over to them to do as they pleased with them. They captured fortified cities and fertile land and took possession of well-supplied houses, cisterns cut out of rock, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate, were filled, became prosperous, and delighted in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They flung your law by backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed terrible blasphemy, so you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them in their time of distress. They cried out to you, and you heard from heaven. In your abundant compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But as soon as they had relief, they, they be, again did what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard them from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion. You warned them to turn back to your law, but they acted arrogantly and would not obey your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, which a person will live by if he does them. They stubbornly resisted, stiffened their necks, and would not obey. You were patient with them for many years, and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them. You are a gracious and compassionate God. So now, our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings and, our, and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors, and all your people from the days of the Assyrian kings until today. You are righteous concerning all that has happened to us because you have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, leaders, priests, and did not obey your law or listen to your commands and warnings you gave them. When they were, when they were in the kingdom with your abundant goodness that you gave them and in the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruits and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. It's, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. <sighs> That's a long chapter. But it's good. 
Wow, it's good. Okay. So today's text, this chapter, I'm going to ask you to remember what we talked about last week because this comes right on the heels of the week-long celebration that the people had held. Now, you remember, they, they decided they were going to celebrate this, this uh, festival, right? This, this festival of tabernacles or of booths. And they made, these, they made these shelters and they lived in them for a week and had this time of worship. But see, today's text, again, the people are gathering. And they have this time of Bible study and confession. Whenever we're first introduced to this chapter, we find them, we find them spending a quarter of the day fasting, wearing sackcloth, or putting dust on their heads. So they spend this quarter of the day, what are they doing? You know how long, first of all, let's back up. How long is a quarter of the day? Somebody says six hours. That would be a quarter of our days. That's true. Um, but according to the Bible, I'm going to say 12 hours. See, if you go to Jesus and you look at what he says, he says, aren't there 12 hours in a day? And he's not saying, well, we don't know how long a day is because they mark their day from sun up to sun down. About 12 hours is what we're talking about. Okay? So three hours, about three hours would be a quarter of the day, right? I'm not great at math, but I think 12 divided by four is three. Is that right? Somebody want to check me on that? No? Okay. Just trust me. Trust me, really. I can do math. Um, so about three hours. And they spent the first three hours listening to the book of the law. About a quarter of the day in the book of the law. Three hours listening to it as it's read. And then they spend another quarter of the day in confession and worship. So what's happening here is these people are hearing God's word. They're hearing God's word. Hearing God's law. And it's causing them to move so that they confess sin. So that they recognize who they are. They knew what God had commanded. And it's leading them to this confession and worship. But what in the world is it that these Levites are saying? What are they reading? What are they saying? How do we know what's going on in these worship services? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Because um, that's actually what the next several verses are. So the first five, well, four and a half verses, they cover like what happened. It sets it all up. And then we get this long 32 verses of blessing, right? This long blessing, starting in the last part of verse 5, and it goes all the way through verse 37, I believe, right? And we get this long blessing of God. And this is what these people are saying. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, because I think it shows why these people were spending this time in confession and worship. So I really want to focus on these, these 32 verses. Now, if you have time, go home and you can study the first four verses. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, but what I want to do is focus our time on these 32 plus verses, okay? And really what this is, is this is one long prayer. Notice that they're addressing God directly. They're talking to God. Um, and that's important because that's, that's, that's what they're doing. They're just praying to God. They're blessing God. And it's being given by the Levites here. So, I find it interesting, though, like I told you, very little of this is focused on what we should do in response to who God is. Most of it's just, who is God? Who is God? So I started looking. About 26 verses of this, they're about who God is and what he's done. 26 of the 32 verses are all about who God is and what he's done. Which means, again, if my math is right, if there's 32 verses there, six verses are on man and how we should respond. 26 to 6. It's pretty lopsided. So what do you think is most important in the text? What do you all think? You think it's on what we do or on who God is? The answer is who God is. I mean, that's just, you know, obviously I hope you guys picked up on that. So what I would like to do today is I would like to show you who God is according to this text. I want to show you who he is. Um, 
So three attributes of who God is, and then I'm going to show you how we should respond to who he is, okay? And I'll be more brief on the responses from us because, uh, well, you'll see why. But that's my goal today. And the first of these attributes is that God is faithful. God is faithful. And of course, this should be first because literally everything we do, everything, not just as Christians, but everything we do as human beings depends upon God's faithfulness. Everything. Literally everything. Did you know that if it wasn't for God's faithfulness, y'all don't have your next breath? Like, you don't. So everything we do, everything we do depends on God's faithfulness. If God decided he was going to stop being faithful today and he was going to stop the universe from spinning, just stop the earth from spinning, y'all, we're going to go flying and we're not going to survive it. Okay? Apart from God's faithfulness, we don't have any hope. So this should be the first thing we understand about who God is. God is faithful. God is faithful. And see, that's really the theme throughout this section. It's what God does. But see, the thing is, we learn who God is, not just because he says who he is, but because he shows us who he is. He demonstrates it. He acts. We can learn who God is through watching him move. Um, so I was curious to see, in this, in this long blessing here that we just read, I was curious to see how many times there was just an attribute applied to God, like saying, God is something. Or I wanted to see how many times it described what God does. Like say, God does this. So again, I started counting. And here's the answer I came up with. And you all can go count on your own. You'll probably come up with a slightly different number. But I bet the ratio will be about the same. So I counted. And I found 32 times in these 32 verses something that God did. An action that he did. And only five times the text just says, here's who God is. 32 times shows what God had done, five times what, who God is. I mean, repeatedly throughout this text, it says, you created, you give, you found, you have fulfilled, you saw, you performed, you made, you divided, you hurled, you led, you came down, you gave, and you hopefully at this point you get, you get the idea. I'm not going to read all 32. Again and again, God, you did, you acted. And it goes on and on and on. But these definitely are not describing verbs. These, these aren't descriptive verbs. These are action verbs. He's doing something. We learn who God is because of what he's done. You know how you can know God's faithful? He shows us he's faithful. He's proven it over and over and over again. See, just think about this for a minute. Um, you probably wouldn't say this person is a hardworking person um, if they never actually did anything, would you? No, of course you wouldn't. Or you would probably never say somebody is faithful if they never did anything, would you? Of course not. You know somebody is hardworking or faithful because you've seen it. You can, you, can, you can demonstrate that. And that's what God does repeatedly through this text. See, our God is an active God. He's not some passive being that we can only hope to learn about through some deep, in-depth study. Instead, we can see God move. Don't get me wrong. I hope you open your Bible, and I hope you study it. And I hope you study it at length. But the truth is, truth is, you can see God move. Again and again and again. We have an active God whose faithfulness we can experience as we see him work in us and in those around us. You can see it. So while the Bible does say God is faithful, 
which it does repeatedly, and I, I mean, I'm just going to prove it real quick, okay? Um, some of you went through the 2-7 series, the first book of those studies, right? Um, so as we went through that series, there were a couple verses that we were supposed to memorize. One of those is 1 Corinthians 10-13, which says, No temptation, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with every temptation he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Again and again, the Bible will tell you, God is faithful. Or another one that we memorized, which is 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us, just flat tells us, God is faithful. But you know how these New Testament writers could write, God is faithful? They'd seen it. They'd experienced God's faithfulness. See, more often than not, the Bible gives us examples of when God was faithful. I mean, just in this prayer, just in this blessing, we get this example of Abraham, right? The text says, God, you brought him, <coughs> excuse me, says you brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and made a covenant with him. See, the Levites, they even remembered the promise that God made to him, right? That, he, that God would multiply his descendants and make him as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's what it says in verse 23. They say, you multiplied their descendants like the star of the sky and brought them to the land that you told their ancestors to go in and possess. So he gives this example of Abraham, says, look how faithful God was with Abraham. He was faithful. He did everything he said he was going to do. God promised it. God did it. And then he gives the example of the Israelites and their time, of, time in Egypt. He said, God brought them out and led them and gave them the law. God cared for them in the wilderness. They didn't do this on their own. Instead, God said that he was going to love his people, make a people for himself. And then you know what he did? He did it. God's not some distant God who says, oh yeah, I'm faithful. And then never does anything. He just does it. He's faithful. He acts according to what he says. I mean, just look at the things that God has done. And it will prove to you that you can trust the same God to be faithful in the future. You want to know how God's going to be faithful tomorrow? Because he's been faithful since the beginning of time. You can see it play out. I think about my own life. And the times, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And the times that, even the times I wandered away from God. Whenever I wasn't faithful. I never doubted that God was faithful. Why? Because again and again and again, he proved it. He proved it. The Bible said, he, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know what? I know God never left me. Or forsook me. Is that how you say that? Forsook? Forsaken? Fors- yeah, I don't know. That's a hard word. Shouldn't use that one. Somebody said I say talking is hard too often. But it is. Bingo. Okay. So, we can trust the same God because he's, he's faithful. And see, what we can trust is even when things get hard, that faithful God, that faithful God, did you know he's also the one who created everything? He spoke things into existence. See, there's this song um, that's popular on the radio right now that kind of rubs me the wrong way, but I, I understand what they're getting at. Um, and they say, it, I, I don't even remember the name of the song or who sings it, but it says, Has, um, did he move every mountain? Did he uh, part every sea? Yes, he did, and yes, he will. Um, that song actually kind of irritates me a little bit because God did not move every mountain and part every sea. Um, he moved the ones that he wanted to to be faithful to his people. Um, but the point is the same. Like, God is faithful. What he's promised, he will do. We can trust him in that because he's shown us again and again and again that he is faithful. So, first thing we learn about God, first attribute we see in this blessing is that God is faithful. Second, God is just. God is just. I think it's, uh, 
I think Alan touched on this in his communion meditation, so I thought, yeah, that's right on par with what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Verse 26, if you look at it in in this blessing, it says, But they, those to whom God has been faithful, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. Right? This is the opposite of what we saw from God, isn't it? The exact opposite. God is faithful to his people. The people, they fling his law away like we don't want this. Like I don't want anything to do with it. They turn their backs on God. They are not faithful. See, it's the exact opposite. They, the people, starting in verse 16, they are mentioned several times here. And again, I stop, you know, I want to start counting how many times the people are, are given a positive light and how many times they're mentioned in a negative way. Um, so I started counting here. And again, you'll probably come up with a number, different number because this is based on my limited abilities. I graduated from South Holt, so think what you want. Um, so I came up with, hey, just so you all know, I loved my time at South Holt, so don't hate me too much. Um, anyway. So I started counting, and I came up with 15 negative descriptions of the people. 15. Only five positive. 15 negative, five positive. Now, what these Levites, as they're giving this blessing, as they're, they're saying this prayer, what they've caught on to is that God was right in declaring the people sinful. God was right, and he was just. Because clearly they were sinful, right? Anybody want to argue with that? Nobody's raising their hand. Good. Okay. That would be awkward if you did. So, clearly they were sinful, and they can't deny it. They were disobedient. They flung the law. They committed blasphemies. They did what was evil. They resisted. And the reason I bring this up is oftentimes we look at our circumstances. We look at the things around us. And and I I don't want to get into this whole victimizing thing. Like, I I don't want to talk about that right now. But a lot of times we're like, well, this isn't fair. This isn't right. How How could this happen? See, we almost think that God is allowing things that are unfair to happen to us or causing, sometimes even causing things that are unfair to happen to us. See, I remember one time um, I, I was trying to, trying to help a guy out and he kept telling me, like, I, I've, my, I've lived too good of a life. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be experiencing these things. Like, I haven't, I haven't lived a life that deserves all this. I, I, and I, tried, I tried my best to be understanding. But the truth is... Um, we live in a sinful and a broken world, and God declares us sinners. And you know what? He's right. And he is just in declaring us sinners. He is. Because he's the creator, and he set the standard. And we failed, and we turned away. We did. But not only is God just in calling a sin a sin, he is also just in executing judgment against that sin. He's perfectly just in doing that. See, look how God responded in verse 27. It says, So you, God, handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. Of course, then the people, they cry out to God, and God delivers them. But then again, look at verse 28. But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. See, and then there's this, there's this vicious cycle, right? The people, they, they do something wicked. They're, they, they experience God's separation. like They experience the result of their own sin, right? So they're separated from God. They realize they're desperate. They cry out to God. God is faithful. God redeems them back again. And the people sin again. If you want to see that cycle play out, go read the book of Judges. Because it happens again and again. Um, Really, it's just over and over and over. And again, what these Levites are doing here is they're saying that the people deserve God's 
They've broken God's law. They fell short of his standard. They have sinned, and God is right in executing that judgment. This actually goes back to a verse we read last week, um, Psalm 103.10. If you all remember, we read all, all of Psalm 103, and I, I couldn't help it. I had to read this verse twice. Um, this verse, this says, He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Yes, amen, amen. Y'all, that's, that's good news, but you know what that tells us? It tells us that our sins deserve something pretty nasty. Our iniquities, if they were repaid to us, it wouldn't go well for us. I actually remember the first time that I, I, ever, I ever really paid attention to that verse. Um, and I just, maybe I shouldn't tell you all these stories, but I'm going to anyway, because I don't care. So, there. Um, anyway, hey, who got it? Awesome. All right. Um, so, man, it took two? That's on there twice? Man, all right, so I remember the first time, the first time, man, I can't, y'all are killing me. Um, I, the first time I ever really had this verse jump off the page to me, because I, I, I'm sure I'd read it before, um, but it was, it was a couple of years ago, whenever, it's almost been two years ago now, that the whole COVID thing first started. Um, isn't that wild? That's almost been two years ago. Um, but anyway, I remember it first started, and people were, uh, rightly, they were unsure of what to do. They didn't know how to respond. A lot of people were scared, didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and we were all confused. Like, nobody really knew what was going on. Um, and I remember I, I was trying to think, how can, I, how can I encourage people? How can I encourage people with this? People who are scared, people who are hurting, who, people who are losing their jobs, people who don't know what to do next. How can I encourage people? Um, and I read this psalm, and this verse jumped off the page. No matter how bad things get, no matter how uncertain things get, no matter how confusing things are, God hasn't dealt with us according to our sins, according to our iniquities. Not like our sins deserve. Because you know what our sins deserve? God's judgment. God's wrath. They deserve hell. Um, Everybody's uncomfortable now because we're talking about hell. Um, But that's just true. And God's right in declaring us sinners. And he's right. He's just. And saying that our sins deserve hell. He's just. And if God was to execute that judgment, we couldn't complain and say, God, we didn't deserve this. Because we absolutely do. Absolutely do. God is just. Our sins deserve complete and total separation from God for all eternity. See, and we must recognize that in issuing a guilty verdict against us, God is just. God is just. So we see that God is faithful. God is just. Um, but I'll give you some good news now. God is forgiving. God is forgiving. Um, you could fill in compassionate because it repeats that term. You could fill in um, merciful because that would also fit the, fit the mold. I chose to go with forgiving. God is forgiving. Um, look at the last part of verse 17. It says, it says but you... In other words, what he's saying is, God, you are so different than what we are. We turned our backs, we sinned, and God, you're right for declaring us guilty, but you, you, God, are different than us. You are fundamentally different from the way that we act. You do things different than we would ever do them. Because let's face it, if you and I were put in God's position, would we be merciful? Probably not. I'll speak for myself. I would not. Um... Apart from the grace of God in me, I would not be as merciful as he is. Um, I would not be as compassionate or as kind, as forgiving as he is. 
The truth is, if somebody came to me and they and I, I encouraged them, I loved them, and they turned their back on me again and again and again and again, you know what I would probably say? I would say, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And I, I would guess, I would guess most of you are like that. Now, some of you may have a longer leash than I would, um, but uh, I just I feel like all of us, eventually we would get there. Every one of us at some point or another, we've probably felt burned. Like somebody treated us wrong. And at some point we just say, you know what? I'm done with you. God's forgiving. He is compassionate. He is merciful. See, and I can prove this to you. When somebody does something wrong to us, we, there's this really common saying that goes around. And I want to see if you all can fill in the end of this. Um, and I'm, I would venture to guess that many of you have probably even said this at some point or another. And it goes something like this. It goes, I don't get mad. I... Oh, so you guys do know it. Okay, good. See, we're not as forgiving as God is. And the text makes it clear that he is different. He says, but you. We need to remember that God doesn't operate the way we operate. He says, but you, God. But you, God, are are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. You did not abandon them. Amen, amen. Like that's, that's hopeful. God is forgiving. If you want to know good news today, here it is. These people were arrogant, they were stiff-necked, they were obstinate people who ignored God's works, actually went the opposite direction. They wanted to say, God, we don't want you anymore. We're going to go back to slavery now. And even whenever God pulled them away from that, they said, God, we don't want you. We want this golden calf that we can manage. Again and again, the people turned their backs on God. But God was forgiving. Even though they did all of these things, God didn't stop loving them, didn't stop redeeming them. He went after them again and again and again. God could have ignored them completely and been just in that. But God loved them and he forgave them. God forgave them. I want to give you some hope today. No matter how poorly you think you've treated God, no matter how many times you think you have wronged God, I promise you haven't outwronged his forgiveness. You have not outdone God's mercy, his love, his compassion. You have not. You're thinking, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, I do. Because it's not about you. No, that seems like there's a slide in there for that. It's not about you. Oh, it is. Look at that. I didn't even know that was going to happen today, but it did. How fantastic. Bingo. So, it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. The truth is, you can't out God's forgiveness. Now, I'm not asking you to go try it, but you can't. God is merciful far beyond what you can imagine. He's far more forgiving than you can imagine. And I don't, I don't care what you've done. God's going to forgive you if you come to him in faith and repentance. He will because he loves you. No matter what, he will not abandon you. Even after they had cried out to him, and they had, he had compassion on them, they decided to go, and again, they did this, this thing with the golden calf, but even then he didn't abandon them. Why? Because your sins aren't held against you if you are in Christ. You are forgiven. You are free. Now, I'm not telling you to go test that because Paul actually asked, should we go on sinning? Well, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But God's forgiveness is far greater than we are. You want to know how great God's forgiveness is? I went back to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
Amen, amen. You know how far the east is from the west? Anybody? Infinite. Because you know where the east is? It's that way. And you know, whenever you think, okay, I'm going to go as far east as I can. As far east as I can. East keeps going. It doesn't stop. It's not a fixed point. It's eternal. It it never ends. It's a concept, not a a real place. So you can go for forever just that direction. Just that direction. So God could have said, I'm just going to put him as far as the east is. And that would have been sufficient. But you know what? That wasn't good enough for God. He says, as far as the east is from the west. Because you know how far the west is? It's forever. It never ends. You can keep going in both directions. It's, and you know what he's saying? They're gone. They're dead. They are over. You will never see them again. Your sins are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. Praise God because he is a just, he is a faithful, and he is a forgiving God. You know how I can, prove, how I can promise you that he will forgive you? It's because he's faithful and he's proven it over and over and over again. Our God is faithful, he is just, and he is forgiving. Okay, then we finally, we get down to verse 32. And this is where the response that we should take after learning who God is comes in. Because this is where we find the, the, the request. This is the request these Levites bring to God in this prayer. Right, verse 32, it says, So now, so now, in light of who you are, in light of who you are, God, so now, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings, our leaders, our priests, our prophets, our ancestors, and all your people from the days of the Assyrian kings until today. The only request in that, don't view lightly. Don't view it lightly. God, have compassion. God, be merciful. God, forgive us. The Levites get to this point. And as they do, this is where we find their response to who God is. The first thing they do, and it shows us what we should do, is they respond with a confession of sin. We should confess our sin. Whenever we see who God is, it will lead us to confess our sin. See, that's what happened last week, right? These people, they started weeping because they heard the, word of the, uh, the book of the law read. And they were confronted with their own sinfulness. And whenever we see how holy our God is, how awesome our God is, it's going to reveal our sinfulness. And the first thing these people do is they confess their sin. So not only do we find that time of confession, the first five verses of the chapter that we read a minute ago, look at verse 33. It says, you are righteous concerning all that has happened to us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Okay, two things here. First, they're saying we deserve what we got. We got... We deserve what we got here. That's what they're saying. Like, you acted, you acted right. You were righteous concerning what happened to us. Um, <laughs> you ever said to your kids, you got what you deserved? Anybody? No, I'm the only bad parent in the room? Okay. Um, I, I was thinking about this just the other day. Um, I, I've, got a, I've got a six-year-old and an almost four-year-old. Um, and I, I remember the other day they... It's actually the six-year-old pestering the four-year-old, um, which usually goes the other way. But it was actually the six-year-old. And I said, Cam, you need to leave him alone. Leave him alone. Quit messing with him. You know what he did? He went and kept messing with him. And you know what my four-year-old did? He picked up the toy he had right there, and he whacked him. And you know what I said to him? I said, well, Enoch, you can't hit your brother. But Cam, you kind of got what you deserved. Yeah, I don't know that he was all that unjust in the, the punishment he executed there, Right? See, that's what these people said. They said, God, we got what we deserve. 
We were banished. We were exiled. We got what we deserved because of our sin. See, that's what they were saying. We got what we had coming. But then notice the shift in the pronoun. That's the other thing I want you to notice in verse 33, the shift in the pronoun. See, up until this point, everything had been they, meaning our ancestors. They did this. They did that. They wronged you. They turned their backs on you. They did this. But there's this shift here from they to we. We have sinned. We deserve this. You acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. The Levites know that it wasn't just their evil ancestors who messed everything up. They say, we have sinned. We have fallen short. We don't like to confess sin. It's really easy to say, yeah, look at our, look at our history. Yeah, I, I see how that person messed up, and that person messed up, and that person messed up. And we could go through the whole list of all these people who screwed things up. You know how many times I've heard somebody say, you know what? Adam and Eve, they really screwed this whole thing up, didn't they? Yeah, if they, they just hadn't eaten that fruit, things would be perfect, right? Are you kidding me? You would have screwed it up so much faster than they did. So much faster. Oh, my. I think about myself. You know what? It, it, okay, but just so you know, this blame shifting, it happens all the time. Adam, what did he do? He blamed his wife. What did Eve do? She blamed the serpent. What did the serpent do? Well, he ate dust. But that's a whole other thing. So we see again and again, though, we like to pass the blame, right? It's their fault. Therefore, the Levites get it, though. They say, we have acted wickedly. We have sinned. It's not just our ancestors. We have sinned. Christian Fellowship, all y'all that are here, I didn't just say y'all. I said all y'all. That's everybody. That's the plural of y'all, in case you didn't know that. Um, All y'all have sinned. You have acted wickedly. I have acted wickedly. I've messed it up. And God is just in doing that. But we don't like to confess sin. We don't like to say, I messed something up. I fell short. I wronged God. I turned my back on his law. You know what? I could sit up here, and we could spend all day just with my confession of sin. Y'all, I tend to think I'm a pretty good person, but if, if I'm just being just as transparent as possible, I could spend all day telling you this sin and that sin and the other sin. I mean, we could go through the pride, the lust, the greed, um, the laziness. Like, uh, How many of the deadly sins do you want me to go through here? Uh, seven is how many I could probably show you. In case you don't get that, there are seven of them that the Catholic Church recognizes. But seven, all of them. I could spend all day confessing that sin. And you know what? I'm not alone. Uh, if we're just being honest right now, how many of y'all could spend all day just confessing your sin? Nobody wants to raise their hand, but uh, I'll raise mine. How about that? And if you aren't, well then the first thing you need to repent of is your pride. So, that's just the truth. It's not fun, but whenever we realize that God is faithful, that he's just in his judgment, and that he is forgiving, I believe it will lead us to confess our sin. It will lead us to confessing our sin. And whenever we do, as we read earlier, he is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins. So, we should confess our sin as a result of who God is. Second, we should turn to God in desperation. We should turn to God in desperation. Verse 36, it says, Here we are today, slaves in the land. You gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruits and goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. That last sentence, I think, sums it up really well. He just says, We are in great distress. See, I think this is something we miss. 
We don't, we don't get this part very often, I don't think. It's just how much we need God. See, first of all, we think that we're pretty self-sufficient. Um, we live in one of the wealthiest nations in all of history, um, one of the wealthiest places in all, like, not just any, like, right now, one of the wealthiest nations, like, in the history of humanity, the wealthiest nation. Like, we live in a place that we are exceptionally fortunate. We are exceptionally blessed. God has given us more than we deserve, for sure. And I think for that reason, we often look, overlook things because I don't think oftentimes we know what distress really looks like. We think, you know what? I can handle this. Let's throw more money at it. Uh, you know what? It'll be okay. We'll be all right. So I think oftentimes we feel comfortable where we are and in what we're doing. So I think that's the first reason we oftentimes don't cry out in distress. I think the second issue is really a worldview issue, or I should say our society's worldview. Um, I think rarely do we see just how much everything that we're doing is, uh, is really spiritual. Everything that we do has spiritual ramifications. All of it. See, we like to set everything apart in these nice, pretty compartments, right? Like, here's physical, here's my financial side, here's, here's my work, um, here's this other thing. And we like to separate all these things, and we say, you know what? Maybe the reason I'm struggling, I'm struggling financially, but that's not, that really doesn't have anything to do with what God's done. Are you kidding me? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that your money matters to God. Not because he needs your money, but because you're supposed to be a good steward of it. Your health? Yeah, you're a steward over the body he gave you, too. That's something somebody, some people don't like to hear. Are you being a faithful steward of what God's given you? See, we like to separate these things out. So oftentimes, whenever we see things around us, things, see things that are happening, we're like, well, yeah, okay, th- this, is, this is the spiritual thing. So I'm not feeling bad right now, like, like emotionally or spiritually. I'm not feeling bad. So that's God's realm. You know, it's really a physical thing that's going on with me. That's not really God's realm. So I'm just going to handle that. Are you kidding me? No, it's all God's realm. It's all his It's all his. So we can't be separating these things out. And I think that's part of the reason we struggle to turn to God in desperation. You think that there's a reason that some of the most effective ministries are are hospital ministries, they are prison ministries, they are people in parts of the world where they are poor and impoverished. You know why those are so effective as far as seeing converts? Because those people know their desperate need. Those people aren't hesitant to cry out to God in desperation. They know they need him. You know what the truth is? You need him just as much as they do. Why? Because what do your sins deserve? They deserve hell. So we need to turn to God and cry out to him in desperation. That's what these people do. And I think we too need to recognize our sin and cry out to our God in desperation. So we confess sin, we turn to God in desperation. And then finally, we should commit to obey God's word. I was going to shorten that up and say we just commit to God. Uh, but verse 38, verse 38, this blessing is over. And look what these people do. And we'll get into the details of this next week. Um, but it says, in verse 38, it says, In view of all this, because of the last 37 verses, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. These people are committing themselves to follow God and his word. They are devoting themselves to it. They're signing off saying, I am going to follow the Lord. See, I'm, I'm afraid that even if we do get the first two parts of this, right? Even if we do get the confession of sin and the cry of desperation, that's where it ends for us. I think we, we get to that point. But that's not the end of it, is it? It's not the end. We confess our sin. We cry out to God. And then we live exactly the same way we were before we got into the mess. No. No, of course not. 
It's like, again, I, I know I talk about my kids too much, y'all, but it's like my kids. They go, they play, and I'm like, okay, hey, you are in a mess, right? I'm glad you played. I'm glad you had fun. Clean up your mess. So we pick things up. But unless we change how they make the mess, it's going to be messy again. Now, that's a bad analogy because I want my kids to play, and I want my kids to have fun and make a bit of a mess every once in a while. But the truth is, a lot of times we do that with our lives. We're thinking, oh, well, this looks fun over here, so I'm going to go make a mess of this part of my life. You know what? It doesn't go well, first of all. So don't try to use, like, oh, it was fun as a justification for sin. Um, Because the Bible actually says that um, you will have a better life if you obey God's statutes. Um, But we'll get into that another time because I don't have time today. But... I'm afraid that oftentimes, even then, we cry out to God in desperation. We try to go on living the exact same way. It's almost like we say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need you to clean up my mess, but don't tell me to do things different to prevent this mess from being made in the future. Like, God, I don't want to change. I just want you to fix it every time. Don't tell me i got to live different. Like, God, just forgive me of my sin. I'm going to keep on doing it, though. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is actually what we see is these people are repenting. They're promising. They're committing themselves to living differently as a result of who God is. As a result of his faithfulness. As a result of his forgiveness. As a result of his justice. They're committing to live differently. And the repentance means that we change. God is faithful and he will forgive a person who confesses their sin and cries out for forgiveness. But unless we are willing to say, God, your way is right and I will obey, we have not come to the point of repentance. That's what we have to come to. Said what we've done, if we are only willing to come to God and say, God, please clean up our mess but not change anything, what we're doing is we're treating the all-powerful God of the universe who spoke things into existence as if he is our personal fairy godmother who's going to come in in the last minute and save the day. I'll just tell you, God is not your fairy godmother. He's not. He's the faithful, just creator of the universe. So if you think of God in those terms like he's just going to be my get-out-of-hell-free card, If that's the way you're viewing God, get that garbage out of your mind. Because that's not the God we serve. He's bigger than that. He is so much bigger than that. We come to God. We come to Jesus confessing sin in our desperation, and that should change us. It should change us. We must, we must commit to obey God and his word. And that's how these people respond. And we'll look at the details of this commitment they made next week, but I think we miss that. Y'all, it's not just about having the slate wiped clean, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to obey his commands? Are you going to obey his statutes? See, I talked last week, I think I talked last week, about the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock. And what was the difference between those two? Doing. Both heard, both built, both faced trials. One of them put God's word into practice, the other one did not. Which are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for what this points us to, that this points us to your son, that this points us to Jesus, showing us that he is a forgiving God who calls us to faith and to repentance. Um, So Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for being merciful, for being forgiving. Lord, we thank you for your justice because we know who you are and we know your standard Lord, and as we open this book, we see just how far short we fall. Um, So, Lord, today I want to ask that you would forgive me. 
Uh, forgive me of my sin as I know you will. Lord, and I pray that you would use this word to draw us to respond to who you are in faith and repentance and obedience. So God, help us, guide us and direct us, Lord, and make your word effective as I know you will, because you are faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.